Hi, I'm Liam Brody, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host. This week for our 120th episode, I'm delighted to have British pro Liam Brody on the podcast. Liam was one of the world's best juniors with high expectations on his shoulders, but it's never that simple. Now 27 years of age, recently won his first challenger title in eight attempts since his first in 2014 and finally opened up and putting advice to use, Liam is on the up with his more attacking game style. Liam tells us all about his journey, advice he has got from pros such as Andy Murray, Dan Evans and his coach, who's a former Functional Tennis Podcast guest, Dave Samuel. There's plenty of simple but effective lessons to be learned in this, as well as being a great story. I really hope you enjoy it. As usual, a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Slinger, who make the awesome portable ball machine, the Slinger Bag. I've been told that their Christmas orders are ramping up. So if you've plans to surprise anybody or yourself with a Slinger Bag, get ordered at slingerbag.com. Finally, talking about Christmas, we now have combo packs of our match and practice journals available on our site, as well as a combo including our famous wooden spoon, the tennis pointer. You can check them all out at functionaltennis.com. If you have any questions about the Slinger Bag or any of our products, simply leave me a question at the Contact Us page on our website, or you can send me a DM at Functional Tennis. Okay, here's Liam. Hope you enjoy Hi, Liam. Welcome to Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you on. Big shout out to your coach, Dave Samuel, who, you know, who gave you the kick in the arse to get on here. We'll talk a bit about him, but tell me, how have you been? You've got your first challenger win. Seven, it was your eighth final. Tell me, what did that feel like? Yeah, it was, um, it was my eighth final. I think my first one was back in November 2014. So, you know, seven years apart. It, it was it was really cool. I mean, to be honest, I, I saw a stat that I was the lower ranked player in each final I played. But there were some finals that I felt like I should have won and I kind of got in my own way. And I mean, it, it's difficult, you know, because obviously before you go on court for that final, you've got to be focused and not, not thinking about the result and just thinking about the way you're going to play and, and who you're playing. So you, you almost, you don't have time to worry about it. And then by the time the match is done, it kind of feels a little bit surreal. I hit a volley to win the match point and I kind of didn't see the ball for a second. My heart was in my mouth and, uh, you know, it looked like a straight sets win. But in my head, my brain was going crazy. And um, no, I mean, it, it, it was a special feeling. It felt like a you know a bit of a vindication of, of all the work I'd been doing. First of all, looking at the results, it looked like you walked your way through all the matches. It looked like you were in control of all the matches. There was no issues, but you're right. Mentally, inside, the heart would have been beaten and all sorts. But was there a weight lifted off your shoulder? Did you say, now let's move on to the next thing? Or Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I actually um, hurt my ab a, a little bit during the tournament, but I'd, I'd actually been on the road for like three months and it was the last tournament. So he said, you know, let's give it one last push and, you know, play on the painkillers and uh, see if we can get through it. Because obviously it'd be a good way to end the trip with a challenger win and that that ended up happening. So, you know, afterwards I took sort of eight, nine, ten days off to rest the ab. And to be honest, I probably kind of needed that anyway, because like you say, I mean, it, it was a bit of a, a watershed moment, you know, after after seven years of wanting something so badly to have then done it, it's it's a bit of a strange feeling. There are a lot of uh, different emotions that you can't quite label. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it was 
for me, probably the most positive experience I've ever had on a, on a tennis court. So, um, you know, it just kind of makes you want more of it. <laughs> so one of my questions was down the line to you was, what is the best moment you have on a tennis court? And that is it, is it? It's tough, you know, because I wouldn't say that they were my best wins and I, I wouldn't say that they were the... I've, I've probably played bigger tournaments and, you know, obviously the Olympics has to be one of my, my best experiences as well. But purely for for the sort of things that I was battling against, for such a long period of time to have then finally got that challenger win. I mean, for three, four, five years, that's been a year yearly goal to win a challenger. Um, so to finally win one, I mean, you know, it felt, it felt pretty good. And tell me what's changed. I've spoke to Dave and he says, you know, you're a lot more committed. You're just even, we'll talk about social media afterwards as well, how you're trying to be more in the moment on match days and that. But for you, what's been the difference looking back over the seven years that allowed you to win a few weeks ago? You know, looking back, I don't think I was a good enough tennis player to win a challenger yet. I think to win a tournament is a lot, you know, as we all know, is a little bit different than, you know, going deep in a tournament. And maybe I didn't always have that belief. Um, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I became a good enough player to win these tournaments. Um, at the start of 2019, I actually, I lost to Ivashka, Ilya Ivashka, first round of qualies in Australia. Um, I'd had the best preseason that I'd ever done. And I was feeling great. I got out to Australia and I and I think I won three games. And my first response in my mind was, let's go out, let's go get drunk, let's, you know, forget about it. It's not a big deal. And I kind of had to stop myself and I called Dave and I, and I said, look, I don't want to talk about the tennis. I said, I want to make a commitment now um, to my tennis and I, and I want to give myself a full 12 months to see where I can get if I make the right decisions off the court. I want to respond the correct way to losses rather than, you know, feeling sorry for myself and making the wrong decisions off the court. Um, I don't want to focus on the tennis on the court anymore. I just want to do what I can off the court. So I think that really kind of laid the laid the foundations for starting to play better this year, you know. And, and it's funny because I had a lot of people asking me, oh, what, what was the difference this year? Whereas, you know, actually, in reality, I, th I think the biggest moment was that moment at the start of 2019. It just sometimes takes a while for the results to come. So maybe tell us a bit about some of those off the core changes you made to, you know, to help improve you? Yeah, I think, you know, before matches, I mean, I've, I've got a lot more professional with my routines, with my warm-ups, with my mobility. And the, the main thing, I guess, is having the discipline to do it day in, day out. You know, it's not, it's, whereas in the past, maybe I would have done it for two weeks and then I'd have, you know, not had a result and I'd have tanked and then not done it for another three months. Whereas win, lose, rain, shine, you know, I'd, I do these these routines every single day. It's you know, so I, I actually do a bit of mindfulness, a little bit of yoga before each match. Um, you know, I make sure that all my equipment's you know correctly set up after the matches. It's you know, again, I, and it's difficult. You know, like it's just, I, I'm sure anybody can relate. When you lose, you just want to go and lie in bed in your sweaty clothes and not do anything. But there are things you need to do to look after yourself. And um, and I, it's strange because the the things off the court that you know you wouldn't think stretching your legs out after a match would affect your match in a week's time or in two weeks time but it's just kind of the mentality of of getting into that professional mindset and it it does it does affect it I don't, I don't know why and how important has somebody like being around Dave or I know you're around Andy Murray on and off like and other great like Cameron Norrie now and how important is it to be around these athletes and see these guys do it yeah um, I mean, you know, Dave, Dave's been one of the most important figures in my life, as, you know, off the court and on the court. You know, he's got a very 
very specific philosophy in tennis. It's quite an aggressive, attacking sort of, you know, fun to watch game style. And I think, you know, probably the last few months I've started to play like that. Finally, um, you know, my ear for five, six years. But at the end of the day, if someone's that persistent, you you know, you can't help but listen. It's going to go in there. So to have to have that clear of a philosophy, I think, from the side of the court is, is fantastic. And, you know, even at my lowest, you know, he was always there, whereas, you know, a lot of coaches would have left the project thinking that it was going nowhere and, and he stuck around. And obviously that gives you the belief in yourself, you know, and, and like you say, to be around these players. I mean, Andy's a great help. Um, one of the biggest helps for me has been Dan Evans over the years. Um, he's always been willing to give advice and, and the advice he gives is always, um, it, it's so simple, but, but always cuts straight to the bone. It's very, it's very precise. And, um, you know, and now obviously Cam's doing fantastically as well. It sounds a bit like the, like the Marty Fish uh, Netflix documentary. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but where it's, you know, you've your pressures, you've had your pressures growing up and obviously he wasn't applying himself enough. He just said, OK, I'm going to apply myself right here and the results change. It looks like what you're doing. You've decided to, you know, a few years ago, you're going to apply yourself and the results, you say they don't come straight away, but if you stick at it long enough, they'll come. Yeah, that, that, that was the funny thing, you know, because I kind of thought, you know, I kind of knew like, oh, um, if I do this stuff, then, then you know, you have more chance of doing well. But I didn't realize how long you'd have to be doing the right things for. You know, I, I thought, oh, you do it for a week and you'll get results. And when I was younger, some, you know, luckily enough, I was talented as a kid. So I didn't really do much of that stuff and I'd get results. And then I'd do two days of, of the correct stuff. And I'd have great results. Whereas obviously, as you get older, you kind of need to, everyone's so professional, you need to match them. And I never did really because of, you know, stuff going on in my own mind. And it was funny, uh, I had Josh, uh, one of the guys who runs the ATP Challenger social media, he, he said to me, what would you say to 20 year old you? And I thought, damn, you know, it, it hit me quite hard. The question, I was like, that's a good question. That's the, and, and I didn't know what to say. Because, you know, you kind of think, I wish I could put this understanding that I have now into, into younger me. And I, what a coach's job is as well is to do that to younger players. Um, and I just kind of said, I said, look, I had people that tried to tell me this and I didn't listen. So whatever I said to 20 year old me, I probably wouldn't have listened anyway. So um, I, I think that I think that is a big thing for players. I've seen a few of the guys coming through, you know, like your Shapovalovs and Felixes. And the thing that's always surprised me about them is how mature they are at an early age. I, I think everyone can play tennis to a certain degree. But Felix, especially, I mean, I, I was playing tennis with him when he was 15 years old. I'm beating him. No, well, no, I, I, I practiced with him one time and I, and I think he was he was probably battering me. But I think we might have been on serve. But I mean, but it was incredible. He, he, his game was, I mean, for a 15 year old, his game was exceptional. But what really impressed me was it was like I was practicing with a 30 year old guy who'd been on tour for 20 years he he had such a clear game style and, and was so level-headed and and I was thinking geez this guy's got got th this level of understanding at 15 he's got another 15 20 years to to add things on top of that and I think sometimes at least in the UK we maybe get a little bit carried away with what people have on the tennis court and I don't think that's the most important thing to making it as a player somebody said on the podcast I can't remember who it was this is terrible but they say like you really some of the young guys have a mental age of 28 yeah. let's say the Felix or the Shapovalov and they say that's why they just have a their mental age is a lot older that's been my problem you know in all honesty I mean I, I'm still pretty young now but I, I think over the last year or two I did mature 
you know, I've probably had the mental age of an eight-year-old and I've probably matured to the mental age of a 22-year-old now. Obviously, at 27, that's not ideal. But, um, you know, another one, I mean, Sasha Zverev, I mean, I, I remember seeing him at 16 in the challenges. And, and again, just these guys were incredibly mature at an early age. And I guess the earlier you can learn to have that level-headedness, the longer you have to fin- figure out the tennis side. Because I, th- I think it's inevitable that that comes when you do, when you know, when you're ticking all of the other boxes. Yeah, no. And is it tough to see like players come through, like these younger guys than you coming through challengers within like six months or less, they're through the challengers into the playing ATP tour events or is it something you just don't care about? It's like you're on your own journey. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, to be honest, it's never bothered me because I mean, you get the phenoms and they're just worlds away, right? Because there are there are a hell of a lot of people like me on the floor. So, you know, when one or two of those young guys come through and it's every couple of years, you know, I mean, last year or the year before it was Alcaraz um, and Massetti. I mean, they're doing pretty good now as well. But yeah, I mean, everyone's journey is different at the end of the day. I mean, if anything, it just kind of shows how how small the margins are because you see those guys having good matches in the challenges and then having good matches and winning in slams and Masters series. So yeah, I, I think if anything, I, I actually quite enjoy seeing challenger players do well on tour because, you know, I kind of feel like they're representing us as yeah. uh, Oh. <laughs> and tell me, you were you were a top junior. You were what number two in the world. You won Grand Slam double events, singles finals, and obviously the world expected. The British press would have expected this guy is the next big, next Andy Murray. Like you know, how much pressure was that on a, a young lad's shoulder? Yeah, I mean that that was huge pressure. Um, and I think as a kid, I I didn't really understand what sort of came with it and. To be honest, I kind of crumbled under it, under it really, and and uh, kind of got a little bit lost with myself. You know, there was a lot of stuff at the time going on off the court that probably didn't help with the tennis. I mean, I I, I didn't really even think about the tennis for three, four, five years just because of you know, yeah, all sorts of stuff. I won't, I won't go into it. Um, but it it was very difficult for me to to focus on the right things, whereas. You know, I guess, again, that's kind of come at the right time. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of grateful that it has come at all, that now I've got to a stage in my life where things are pretty stable off the court and I, and I can use that to just say, OK, life's OK now. Let's see what we can do with, with the career. And I probably had a lot of time after the juniors where that wasn't OK. And and it's a different ball game, right? So in juniors, it's a lot about talent and, uh, you know, you get a lot of, a lot of guys still trying to figure out the game. Whereas in the pros, I mean, in the futures and the challenges, everyone's fighting for every point and hustling so hard and, and it becomes very difficult and, it, and it's a bit of a bog. I mean, I, I was at futures in Antalya in Turkey with the Dominic team when he was 2021. 20, you know, some of the names of players that have played futures and challenges, you'd be amazed at. But um, but the, the best players at the end of the day, they're good enough to get out of that. And, that, and that's... That's what makes them so special and, and enables them to play such good tennis on tour is uh, is that they're very, very tough players. Two questions for you here, Liam. One is, we never actually gave me an answer. Or, sorry, you never actually answered Josh's question to what would you tell a 20-year-old self? So one, that. And two, to make that breakthrough from juniors to seniors, apart from having the mental age of somebody a bit older than yourself, what else do you need to move quickly? To be honest, to... 20 year old, I mean, I suppose it's kind of a similar sort of question, right? Like, because I'd be telling you what to do to, to move up quickly. I'd probably say, look, take, take care of the stuff off the court. And even if you don't understand why right now, do it for long enough to see the results you can get on the court. 
And secondly, I'd, I'd probably kind of try and say something about your social life and stuff off the court isn't as important as the stuff on the court. Because um, I think, you know, most young people, you know, you kind of take things for granted, right? And have had a good junior career, I kind of took the tennis for granted. Um, and it took me to get to about, four, you know, to drop down from, I think my career high when I was, I, it was in 2015, I got to 153. And I dropped down to about 400 a couple of years after that. And it took me to get to that, that I kind of realized, hang on, this is, this is the priority in my life. It's not, it's not a social life that's the priority. But I, I mean, it's tough because how many kids go through that in the world? I mean, you know, I, I see friends going to university and all they do is have a good time for four or five years. And then they go traveling for two years and have a good time. And, and I was just a normal kid from, from Stockport, you know, like a small town up in the Northwest. And, and that's kind of where I was happy. Um, but then I kind of started to realize like, how lucky I am to be playing tennis and, and the lifestyle that we live and, and the opportunity I've been given. So yeah, I, again, I, I don't think I'd be able to answer the question because I think I kind of had to go through what I went through to kind of understand what I understand now. And it is a flaw of younger people who, you know, I'm sure you look back at your parents or coaches you've had and they gave you good advice along the way. And as you said, you didn't listen. You got to experience it yourself. You'd never learn, even if you... yeah. If you'd done the right thing, you'd still really never learn, would you? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, my my coaches, you know, the, D- Dave being one of them. Um, before Dave, I worked with Mark Hilton, and he's a fantastic coach as well. And you know, they they both tried to tell me this stuff um, for years. That that's that's the funny thing, and and obviously, you know, Hill's probably got a bit sick of it by the end. And and I actually met met up for a coffee with a guy called Nick Baglin a few weeks ago. He, he's a friend of mine. He's from the similar sort of area, and he was good friends with uh, Mark. And uh, and he said Mark used to call him and be like, "I don't know, I don't know how to get through to him. I don't know what to say to make him understand what to do." And and now I see players who are younger than me kind of speaking to me and asking for a bit of advice, and I and I give them the advice that that I now understand. And then, you know, a few days later, they're messing around and not doing the right things. And, and I think, do you know what? This is the circle of life. Like I'm, I'm now being punished for having done that. To yeah. And now it's going to happen to me. But I, I guess that's the job of a coach. And, and I guess the greatest coaches, they can make people understand that, or at least they can stand by someone and, and guide them until they do have a full understanding of it. Yeah, agree, agree. And look, some people, it just takes a bit longer. Some people never learn at all. Like at least you did learn. So Some people never learn it, right? Yeah. And you talk about players who've been on your journey, you haven't made it and various things. We mentioned Sam Barry, a good friend of mine. There's been plenty of Irish players like that. Pete Botwell. And do you know Pete Botwell? I know Pete. I know Pete. Yeah, Pete's a good, great guy. I mean, Sam, Sam for me is, is a great example of that. I mean, I don't, I don't know how he was doing with, you know, finances and stuff. I know that's difficult in Ireland because, you know, you guys don't, don't get the wild cards for, for, the, for Wimbledon and stuff like that. So it does make it a little bit more difficult. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, Sam, he, he slapped me up in Thailand one time. Um, you know, he, he was a fantastic competitor. He had a great serve. He was, he was a great mover. And he's a prime example. I mean, if he'd have been able to keep going, I, I don't see why he wouldn't have got to where I am at the moment and, and pushed on higher. And that's kind of what I feel like now is like, if I can start to do okay at the challenges and stuff, who who can't do okay? You know, and, and, and I know I think Pete, maybe it was slightly down to their finances as well. But, um, 
you know, Simon Carr, he's, he's a good player. He's out there. Way. And I think these guys just, you need to give them more time. And, and at the end of the day in tennis, we kind of see it now where if you're, if you're not top hundred or, you know, not top 50 by the time you're 21, you know, like your raffers and these freaks of nature in tennis, then, then you're not a successful player. And, and I think, I mean, at the end of the day, you can play this sport till you're in your late thirties. So if you're, if you're in your, ranking targets by the time you're 28, 29, why not have five years in the top 100 making a good career for yourself and, and taking those experiences and lessons you learn into, you know, hopefully tennis in the future and, and giving it to younger players or, you know, into your next career because I think they're invaluable life lessons that you learn at, at this level of sport. You definitely learn great lessons and what differentiates you from these guys is one, you're still on, you're roughly the same age as them, you're still on tour, your ranking's going up, so you're more resilient you're prepared to stick it out maybe your dream was bigger I'm not sure but resilience did you learn that along the way or something you always had or did somebody working with Dave or your previous coaches did they instill something in you I wouldn't say more resilient because I mean Sam was pretty resilient on a tennis court I mean he, he was a he, he was a tough competitor and, and he was someone whose name you didn't want to see <laughs> yeah self next to in the draw but I, I think one thing that did help me is having a good junior career because no matter how bad it got, I, I've always, you know, everyone feels special inside themselves. But I, I always kind of thought, I know I can do this. Like, I know the level's there. Whereas I guess for people who haven't had a junior career, you know, if, they, if they're 26 years old and they haven't been inside 250, they might think, what's the point? You know, like, I'm never do it. I've never beaten good players. Whereas actually... You know, you just—it's going to happen if you if you make the right decisions. You just never know when. And I, and like I said, I was lucky enough that I had a junior career where it kind of instilled a belief in myself, no matter how bad it got. I mean, there were times when I wanted to quit. There were plenty of times when I wanted to quit. I mean, I remember—I'll have to have a look on my history at the end of 2018. I think it was. Um, I, I played a few challenges in India, and I was I was sliding down the rankings fast and I bombed out of qualities of both of them first round and and uh, that was a funny one because they was because I was like oh, all right before we went I'd just been in China and I was like maybe we should go home like it's been a tough year like I've been on a nine match losing streak that year and Dave was like no no, no come on like let's 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 make this right and I was like okay yeah yeah, yeah you're right and, uh, and I bombed out first round of qualities both weeks and I went and I was like damn I you know I kind of want to quit like I, I don't think I want to do this anymore but I mean, you know, my, my dad's quite, a, you know, has always been a strong figure within my tennis and, and within my life. And he's a very, you know, he's a traditional northern English man. You know, he's very hardworking. Um, he's very stubborn. He never quits. And, and that stubbornness is something he's given to all of his kids. I mean, it le leads to a lot of arguments at home. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but, but within the sport, I think stubbornness is, is an exceptional trait to have I think if you can kind of weaponize it to your own advantage then then you know the benefits are limitless really I mean a lot of people say that I'm a good fighter on court and and stuff like that and quite often I think it's not I'm not fighting I'm just being stubborn like it you know it's almost sometimes kind of a little f you to the opponent or or to myself to say I'm not stopping here like you know, I'm going to prove to you that I can do better than this. Yeah, it, it's something I think you need to be a top athlete. You need that the resilience and stubbornness. And any time I've had the younger guys on the podcast and they say, what's it like when you hit the pro, like from juniors to seniors, it's always like, man, those guys are fighting for their lives. They're ladies, like are fighting for their lives. It's like they're fighting for dinner on the table. Like they're not all, it's the futures and challengers. So every penny counts and it's just like a dogfight out there and nobody's given up. And Yeah, but it's kind of beautiful, like, 
that there are so many people giving their lives, you know, sweat, blood and tears to this sport to try and make it. And there are so few of us that do make it at the end of the day. And, you know, there are, I mean, you probably know better. There are like nine futures, six challenges a week going on and, and every single tournament, every single court, you know, everyone's giving, giving their heart out there to try and try and live the dream. And, uh, you know, I think it just kind of shows how beautiful the sport is and, and how many people love it. It's tough, but it's, it's beautiful and fair play to those who make it, who are on that journey like yourself. Join over 10,000 people who have downloaded our free match and practice PDFs over at functionaltennis.com forward slash downloads. Our match and practice PDFs help you plan and evaluate your matches and practices. We have some other free downloads there for you too. So make sure you go over to functionaltennis.com forward slash downloads. But what's that story I heard of Andy Murray? I know we briefly mentioned, told you to, I'm not sure you can tell us the full, the right context, but he said, is it something like if you keep doing what you're doing, you may as well just quit? It was, I mean, it was it was pretty much that. <laughs> but so we had these events, Battle of the Brits in um, the UK. Um, we had an individual event um, that Jamie Murray, you know, kind of put on during COVID for the British players. You know, it was fantastic. He did a brilliant job, obviously helped support us amazingly. And, you know, I was giving it, we had a group chat with all the British players and uh, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of sledging and chirping going on. And I'm not really one to take that line down. So I was giving it as bad as anyone. Obviously, very aware I was playing very bad at the time. Um, but I thought, you know, what have I got to lose? I'm just going to give it to him as much as I can. Um, and then I ended up drawing Andy. And he just absolutely destroyed me on the court. And I was very bad at the time. Uh, I, I'd like, decide, I don't know why I thought it was a good decision. I decided to change my forehand grip. <laughs> and, and I mean, I couldn't hit a ball. And... Dave said actually that he watched it at home and he thought this, you know, the career's done. Like, you know, it was. That. <laughs> and Andy actually was was playing really bad himself. It made me laugh because he said that he would have he would have sledged me on the court more, but he felt so bad that he couldn't do it. Oh wow! So it was just a very bad tennis match. But then, you know, I had a chat with him in the cafe afterwards. You know, we had dinner um, and we sat there and I kind of picked his brains a little bit. And it's probably the first conversation that I've ever had that was a serious chat with him. You know, and he was just kind of saying, like, look, like there are things I regret in my career um, that I wish I'd have done differently. And he was talking about his coach, Jamie, who was a very good player. And he said, you know, if Delgi had done a few things differently, I'm sure he could have been better as well. And, you know, I obviously knew he was he was talking about me because I think everybody kind of knew that, you know, what type of person I was. And, you know, and, and I kind of thought, you know what, he's right. Like, if I'm going to do this, then I might as well do it properly rather than, you know, kind of half-assing it. And then a few days later, he texted me. I, I was driving through um, Sheen or something near the National Centre. And he texted me and he said, uh, I've been watching your Wimbledon Junior final. He said, I've been watching it. And he said, your forehand is brilliant on these videos. Like, why don't you just hit it like that? And I said, I'm not sure it's that simple. Like, I've been pushing the ball for seven years and he said well he said one thing I can guarantee you is that if you continue hitting your forehand like you have been then you'll never make it as a player but and he said I can't guarantee you that you will make it as a player but you might have a chance of making it as a player if you start hitting your forehand again um and you know obviously David tried to talk to me about it many times but to have that from Andy and to have him put it in such a such an intelligent way to me I kind of thought well hang on i you know, going for you know, going for my forehand in the past would have seemed as a risk, but actually, the way Andy's reframed it in my mind is is more of a risk not to 
take it on because at the end of the day, I'm not a very good tennis player if I don't do it. And from that moment on, I decided, right, you know, he's right. I've got to start, you know, looking to play the right way. And at the end of the day, a lot of this is what Dave's been telling me. So I'm sure it was music to Dave's ears. I, th I think it was a bit frustrating for Dave that, you know, he's been telling me for years and then Andy tells me and, and I decide to do it. But Andy had kind of framed it in a way that, that clicked in my head. And then, yeah, so I decided to start playing properly. And then it was only six weeks after that that I qualified for French which was the first time I'd qualified for a slam in, I think that was my 14th attempt. Resilience. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of attempts that. <laughs> yeah, well, you'll get there eventually. But I was going to say, so I was speaking to a coach yesterday who would have travelled with some of the Irish younger lads and he said he would have seen you at junior tournaments uh, back in the day. But he says one thing about you, he says you never missed a short ball, forehand ball. So it's just backing up and, you know, you were attacking, you were on it early and he says that was one impressive thing about your game as he saw as a junior, like you just didn't miss one and you're on it so quickly. Is that true? Yeah, no, it's true. My dad's big things, you know, because he, up until I was probably 16 or 17, it was my dad that coached me. Um, to be honest, probably 17, 18. My dad was my coach. We travelled every week and, and, you know, he was a real tennis fanatic and one of his big obsessions was the early ball. And basically just attacking and playing the right way and no matter what. And if you lose the match playing the right way, then it's better than losing the match and just pushing. And, you know, I guess that's kind of what happens. But when you're accelerating on the ball, you actually have more control than when you're de-accelerating on the ball, which is kind of like a little bit of a paradox, really. But that, And I never had fear as a junior. Whereas obviously once I'd achieved what I'd achieved in juniors and then gone into the senior game, I kind of developed a bit of a fear of failure because I was like, look at what I've been, you know, now it's, the, now it's the big leagues. Like now I've got to do it to actually make money rather than just to get myself a bit of a name. Um, and that's kind of where it tripped up a bit, really. Yeah, it's crazy, but it must mean so much to have these guys around. I don't know, look, you can still call your dad advice. You've Dave, you can call Andy. Like, what's the one biggest advice, best advice you got from Andy and from the other Brits? Is there one from each you can give us from Dan maybe as well? Um, the, the one from Andy was was that one, really. I mean, at the end of the day, that kind of changed my career path in a sense. To say, you know, you're not going to make it pushing the ball. So why not give yourself a chance by by hitting the ball? And and it's such a simple statement, right? But but you know, even when I say it now, it's like, damn, like that's it's a really smart thing to say that. Like for for such a stupid guy, that's such a smart thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if he listens, but let's hope he does because he'll give you a bit of abuse on that. Yeah, but no, it was yeah, it was it was a bit a piece of brilliance, really. And one of the, I mean, Evo again, I mean, similar to that piece of advice from Andy, and Evo has probably given me five, six incredible pieces of advice over the years that have just struck me to the boat. I mean, there was one a few years ago, and this is for anyone who's ever in a in a strong tournament. I remember looking through the draw and I was texting him. I think it might have been whilst he was out of the game. And I was like, geez, like, this is a strong tournament. I was like, oh, this is difficult. And he said, and he was like, and he went, you know, classic ever way. He kind of insulted me at the same time. He's like, you're the same as everyone else. You're such a, such a baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Slightly more rude than that. Uh, you're such a baby. He said, you look at that draw and you see 31 other players you've got to beat. You only have to beat five of them. The rest of them will beat each other. And I was like, damn, he's, he's right. You know, even in the strongest draws, you only need to beat five players. You know, I'm looking at all these top 100 players in the draw. And actually, there's only four or five that I actually need to worry about. I'm, you know, and, and I thought that was a fantastic piece of advice. Um, and that's always stuck. He might not even remember telling me that, but that's always stuck with me. Um, 
And another one, he, he actually said to me, and it was him and Mark Hilton, like I said, we, we did that pre-season together in 2019. And it was them, you know, it was those two that were saying to me at the end of the day, and Evo said, I, I don't know why, but doing the right things off the court affect the way you hit the ball on the court. It doesn't make sense. But if you take care of the off-court stuff, for some reason, you play better on the court. And, you know, I'd gone for a coffee with them after a practice and they were both kind of like looking back, probably trying to drill it into me a bit. <laughs> Whereas I, I was thinking, oh, this is a nice friendly coffee. Um, <laughs> that, that was probably another career changing piece of advice. You know, it didn't, it probably didn't stick straight away. But like I said, you know, then, then a month or two later, I went and got bounced out of the draw in Australian Open qualifying by Avashka. And, and that kind of struck me then. Uh, what they'd said and I kind of thought okay well let's give that a go and, and see what happens Yeah, How dangerous is Avaska these days? Yeah I mean if I gave you a list of the players I've lost to at some of these tournaments <laughs> At least you've been there to lose to them but I, I think I'm just going to jump in here I think the whole thing about doing the things the right things off the court I, it's mental training really you're doing the right thing you're making the hard decision Yeah, but only then you're on court and you know you won't take the easy route out because you're mentally training this sponge in your head to to do the hard thing and make the hard calls and it's funny you say that because obviously like people said that to me for a long time and you know i train hard off the court and i probably wouldn't do the other things like taking care of my body and eating right and and i'd go on court for a match and i'd be like i should feel confident here like i worked hard in the gym like i'm fighting hard on the on the practice court and i'd feel bad whereas actually what i've learned is you probably even if i didn't train hard off the court but I actually did the right things around the tennis, I'd feel better on the court. And I don't think it's, it's not even like consciously on the court. You're not, you know, like you say, you're not, you're not almost thinking, okay, I know I've done the right stuff here. I'm going to hit this forehand good. But somewhere in the back of your mind, there's an extra sort of um, calmness. It, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just kind of more of an understanding and, and the ball seems to feel better. <laughs> Mate, we need to get Dave on to I explain how it all works. But let's quickly talk about your coach, uh, David Samuel. He runs the Mindset College and yeah. it's a place where players and not only tennis players, other athletes and business people can go and they can do mental training. It's a course they can do online. You're an ambassador. And apart from Dave's help with you on the court, how has the Mindset College helped you on the court and off the court? I mean... It's, it's funny, you know, because my we, we've kind of had me and Dave actually had this chat. When we think about it, I we sat down a few years ago and I, and I said, right, we got a great tennis coach in Dave. I had a great SNC coach in Rick, my SNC coach back home, and I didn't have a mental coach. And he said, right, we need to get a mental coach as well. And I brought in this guy called Phil Quirk, and he's very good. But then a year later, we were kind of sat down talking and and. Uh, and obviously Dave does his mentoring stuff with Mindset College. And Dave actually said to me, he said, it's funny because, you know, you've got three guys specific for each thing, but actually Rick as well does some mentoring. So I've got an SNC coach who, who does mentoring and mindset work, a tennis coach who does mentoring and mindset work, and then a mindset coach as well. Let's fire him. So yeah, so, so it's, it's worked quite well. And um, I'm, the t I'm probably the type of person that, I overthink quite a lot. So it's quite nice to have that in each setting. So when I'm on court, I mean, Dave for me is next to none. Um, in, I mean, obviously he's a very, very good tactical coach and technical coach. Um, but he's second to none for me in managing, helping manage me with my emotions and, 
and my insecurities. There was a time in Rome this year, I remember, um, I had a bad practice and, and I was feeling really bad on the court and I called him and obviously I was a bit panicking, um, a bit panicky and, uh, and he kind of just talked me off the ledge a little bit um, and, and, you know, gave me a few little things to sort of manage myself and, and to just, you know, relax, give yourself a few more days and, and you know, and, and I found it again. Um, but that's, that's the type of person Dave is. He's, he's a very intelligent guy and, and, uh, and he has a great awareness of people. So, you know, I guess he's kind of decided to put that into his business a little bit. And does he make you log in? I think he's trying to get me to. I think I, I, I did a call with him a few, I think, was it last year? Uh, but I mean, it's, I'm not very, well, as you know, I'm not very good with this stuff. It's taken me about two weeks to book this in with you, so... Uh, look, you're busy. You're busy playing tournaments. I know how hard it is to get tennis players in because schedule changes all the time and practice change and weather issues and flights and whatnot. But no, it's been great having you on, Liam. I wish you a lot of success. Before I call you, you said you're from Stockport, is it? Yes, sir. Yeah. Is that near Manchester? Yeah, it's Greater Manchester. Are you a City or United fan? I'm a Manchester City fan. Okay, yeah. No, it's... My claim to fame is obviously, besides my sister, I'm, I'm at, well, that makes me the third greatest tennis player to come out of Stockport because obviously Fred Perry's from Stockport as well. Oh, well, there you go. You've high, there's high expectations there. No wonder you've had that pressure on your shoulders. I'm aiming to be second best, but I need to get my sister out of the way. <laughs> no, you're all over it. You're all over it. But last thing, any last bit of advice you want to give our listeners or like their junior players, their parents out there that you feel could be valuable if they're willing to listen? I'd say firstly... I wouldn't put a time stamp on on goals or achievements. Um, sometimes you want it to happen, you know, within a week. It might be three years, four years, five years, but then a lot of things might happen at once. But one thing I can guarantee is that it's always going to take a longer time than you think it will. Because as humans, you know, we want the shortcut. We want it quicker. And in reality, it's not like that. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, and, and I think this is kind of, like I said, you know, you can take some things from tennis and, and put it into life as well. And it's the same, I think it'd be the same in business, you know, the same in, in any walk of life is, is that if you, if you do the right things, the, then good things will happen. Um, and, and it's as simple as that, really. I mean, the toughest times to do that are when it's not going well, but that's, almost the, that's also the most important time to do it. And in the words of Pep Guardiola, this, I, stole, I stole this one from Pep Guardiola, the Man City manager. Yeah. He got asked in an interview. It was before they set the record for most wins in a row in the Premier League. So an interviewer asked him if he was, if he was worried about setting the record for the most wins in the Premier League. And he responded, I'm not worried about winning matches. I'm worried about how we respond when we lose. And and that was very powerful for me to hear because it's the same in any sport and in any business in life. It's easy when you're winning. The most important time and, and what really defines a champion or a champion mindset is how you respond when the chips are down and when it's going badly. True, important. We've talked a lot about losing, but when you win, when you won the Challenger, did you have a nice beer or what's the new routine now that... Yeah, I went home and I saw the family. My girlfriend actually bought me a huge cake <laughs> Bad influence. <laughs> yeah, I had a slice of that, but uh, you know, I'm getting old now, man. I can't, I can't go out and celebrate like I used to. So, <laughs> so another last, I keep having last questions here. But did you ever play the Irish Futures in Dublin? 
I never did. I always wanted to. I've never been to Ireland. I was actually planning a holiday to, um, I think it was Dublin at the end of the year, but the way the schedule's looking, I don't think I'm going to get out there. Okay, well maybe if you get out here and out to holiday, you get Sam Barry out, hit a few balls. He's, he's yeah. still playing a bit of league for us, so he's still a bit useful. On the deadly wet AstroTurf out there. Yeah, on his home ground, he said he'll take <laughs> you. <laughs> but Lee, thank you very much. I'm not sure what your plans are for the next few weeks to take a bit of time off or whatever it is, keep it on the straight and narrow and I will talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. What a great chat with Liam. Really hope you picked something up from it. And if you did, let me know what you found great about it. I would really like to know. But until next week, get out there, get playing tennis. I'll be back then. Bye.